Sometimes I feel like everybody is a sexy baby. Byron's version. This is this is my journey. Byron, where are you? I am in Singapore, in the country of Singapore. It's a city-state. It's the town. It's the country. It's just the it's the little red dot. That is that is what is it is referred to. A uh, a, a neighboring prime minister um, uh, referred to Singapore as the little red dot as a diss. And uh, the Singapore people embraced it. And they're like, yeah, we are the little red dot. And we have this, uh, you know, state-of-the-art military. And we're this giant Asian economy. So uh, suck it. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. This is your yeah. – you, you've been here before, yeah? I have, yeah. We discussed this uh, – right. we discussed this on the, 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 the business class airline pod where I flew from – That's right. London to Australia and uh, stopped in Changi Airport, which, spoiler alert, will be mentioned in one of the categories, and uh, and then was diverted. Well, not diverted, but I missed my connection. So I, I ended up flying seven hours to the north um, and then back down 10 hours to Australia. It was a long, it was a long journey, but... Uh, yeah, much easier this time since I was already in Asia. It makes the whole thing much more, much more palatable. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> weird. How um, not sandwiched in the middle of sitting on a plane for hours and hours. Um, that's true. That's true. All Although uh, you know, uh, sandwiched is not the correct term. I was in my own business class pod. In uh, fact, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Now that I think about it, I would much prefer that than many of the hostel beds I've been sleeping on uh, in on this on this journey. So yeah, give me, I just want to live in a pod on a plane. That's sort of my dream my dream living situation. Live in a, a plane pod. Um, live okay. In a plane pod. Yeah. So so now you're getting a chance to spend some time. You're hanging out. Um, yeah. I guess you know, like I guess you know. I don't know. We should just kind of jump into. what's the strangest thing what's the strangest thing you've seen the strangest thing here in singapore the little red dot is the marina bay sands hotel slash casino now this is sort of there's the marina bay is is um the main area i'd say sort of the most iconic part of singapore uh, you have a bay, obviously, some water. It's uh, surrounded by – there's an F1 racetrack because the Singapore race happens every every year. You've got uh, the Singapore Eye, which is one of those giant um, um, uh, Ferris wheels with the little pods. Uh, mm-hmm. they're, little, they're like little uh, – yeah, the little pods. They have one in London. It's the Millennial Wheel. Um, and uh, they're just uh, slow-moving – enclosed but you can kind of see the whole area uh the merlion is there on on one across from marina bay sands you've got the merlion which is a uh the 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 mascot of singapore it is a half um it's a half it's a it's like a aquatic lion it's like a lion Mm. the head of a lion and then the body thank you for not thank you for not gendering the lion (laughs) Has scales, <laughs> yes. So the body has scales. The head is a lion, and then it shoots water out in an arc. Um, and the you know the lion is sort of the official mascot because back in the day when they were first you know discovering the area, someone said they saw a lion um, where Singapore was, which has has been debunked <laughs> from a from a uh, science standpoint. They're like, no, there's. A lion couldn't have been there and and never could have been there. At no, I swear. I saw it. I swear I saw it. It was I'm a lion. Like, no, I, I'm scientifically, sure. Scientifically, scientifically, there's the, there's no um, the 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 fauna and the the no, geo- no no no. Oh, you're not listening to me. It was a merlion. It was swimming. It was a lion oh, that swam. Wow. Okay, I, I, it could have been a seal or a, there is a sea lion, but that's a different thing. No, there's this was a full on lion. lion. This was a full-on lion. It had a big old lion mane. 
Like, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty sick. All right. Have you been drinking the rum again uh, below, below deck on the ship? Listen, I can stop whenever I want. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Oh no! There's always there's always one problem on the on the on the on the expedition. There's always a problem. There's always one guy, you know. (laughs) There's always one guy. There's fringe guy at the expedition. (laughs) Um, uh uh, Yeah. So it's this whole sort of lively area. um, But across on on sort of um, there's all these high rises and buildings. But across the bay, standing by itself, is the Marina Bay Sands. It's a hotel and casino. It's three pillars of of you know rectangle buildings where the hotel is and then you, you there there's air in between um so it's it's like three it's three dominoes standing next to each other and there's gaps in between and then on it's connected on the top by uh what looks like a like a ship it's like a thin white line on the top and it has been constructed to look like a ship with with three sails and this yeah. is the Marina Bay Sands. And it's sort of like one of the iconic features of the skyline and, and sort of the Singapore identity now. And, they, they, you know, this thing is on all the postcards and the magnets and whatnot. Um, but the, the, the weird thing about it, and, and you go to the top. I did. I, I, I've been to the top twice. You pay 25 bucks uh, because, of, of course, you do everything in Singapore is very expensive. Uh, and... Uh, so you go up there and and but you're you don't get to go to the whole top. There's there's a viewing area that's just for visitors because the rest of the top is this magnificent pool and uh you know this the best views are from the part where you can't go to if you're if you just paid the $25 you're in sort right. of the tourist pen area. Uh, there's also a restaurant, uh, which is super, super expensive. Um, but so it's fine, but you know, you feel like, you feel like you're not getting the best, uh, version of it. Uh, now there yeah. have been stories of people who have paid the $25 visitor tourist fee and then in the elevator changed into a robe and then convinced the guards that they were guests and then just went and spent the day at the pool because they walked to the guard with a robe on and the guard was like, well, they must be staying here. Who would, who would switch into a robe in the elevator? That'd be crazy. Uh, so, but I didn't have the cojones to, to, to pull that. (laughs) You know, well, that's, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so it's strange. Oh, and also, so it's sort of a bit of a part of the, you know, modern Singapore identity. The problem is it's the Marina Bay Sands, as in Sands Casino Group from Vegas. Oh, right. Yeah. Owned by Sheldon Adelson, the like. Yeah, that guy. Rich Republican billionaire donor guy. So this iconic building is just like. It's, it's owned by a rich American asshole, you know? So right. That's not great. That's, that's not, not the, cool. That's not good. It's not cool, man. So I think that whole thing is strange. It's a very cool building, but – oh, and it was built in 2010. It, it was built 13 years ago. This is not like some some structure that has survived the winds of time here. It's, it's, it's brand right. new, as a lot of things are in Singapore. Yeah, right. So it's not some like historic – it's not some no. historic deal. But the most strange thing I saw in Singapore is historic. It is indeed. And it was also built by Westerners. But this had a much different purpose. The oh, strangest no. thing I saw was the battle box at Fort Canning Hill. So <laughs> <laughs> are you intrigued? I, I am intrigued. Go on. Yes. Yes. So the battle box is a bunker that is built in, burrowed and built into the side of Fort Canning Hill, which is the tallest part of Singapore. Uh, it's, it's now, a, it's a park and, um, you know, lovely grass and, and structures and things. But the battle box, there's these green metal doors in the side of the hill. Um, you know, it's like, um, it's like if, if, if Bilbo Baggins was, um, was like an end of days 
uh, like hoarder, you know, instead of a nice wooden circular uh, shire uh, house, he had metal doors into the side of, into the side of his mountain. Um, And so you, this was built in 1936 by the British who, who uh, Singapore was a British colony at that time. And they, they built this thing because of, of the Japanese aggression in the area and this was the going to be the headquarters for the defense of Malaysia and Singapore, if it came to that, which, uh, spoiler alert, it did. Um, so they <laughs> built this thing. And, um, and so you go in and you can see, you know, where, where the officers slept and there's a conference table and there's a, um, you know, the map room. There's always a map room in these kind of places, um, you know, where you have the little, the, the red, the red markers for Japanese troops and blue markers for the British and Malaysian and Singapore yeah. troops. And uh, yeah, so you're in the battle box and they have mannequins as well, which is always fun. Sort of mannequins dressed in, in British uniforms to recreate the dark days of, of um, 1942 um, because the Japanese uh, first attacked uh, on December seventh, and we all know as 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 um, you know, American centric folks that uh, December seventh, nineteen forty one, was Pearl Harbor. But uh, what people also don't know is that this was they simultaneously attacked everywhere around the Pacific on the same day, either December seventh or December eighth. They they did strikes in uh, Philippines and and Singapore and Malaysia. They started their whole invasion everywhere, and but they they. The, the British were confident that it would take years uh, to con- to conquer Malaysia and then Singapore itself. It's this island. It's very. It, it's just. It's geographically um, tough to to conquer. And they're in the battle box. It's called the battle box. It's underneath a hill. They've got these cool metal doors. Like it's it's unconquerable, right? <laughs> Smash cut 70, 70 days later. And uh, you walk into the conference room uh, in the battle box and there's a recreation of the mannequins looking real sad and hunched over the table because they are about to surrender to the Japanese after 70 days. Things did not go well. Mm. And uh, it's tough. You know, it's it's it must have been a tough situation at the time uh, to make that decision and, uh, you know, give up a lot of troops and territory and all this. But it's also a double loss because little did these British officers know that they would spend eternity in this on the worst day of their life in mannequin form uh, for tourists to come see uh, this very moment, uh, which I'm sure was, you know, the worst part of all of their lives. So that's a bummer. Right. Well, but battle box. Battle box. It's just, <laughs> how could it be? How could we call that and not be strange? It was, it was very strange. <laughs> I mean, it also sounds pretty cool, but it wasn't the coolest thing you saw. So what is the (laughs) coolest thing? Uh, The coolest thing, number three, which is a weird way to say that, we'll say the third coolest thing, like a human, um, that would be the raffles at Singapore. Uh, uh, So raffles was this dude and he uh, he was like the first governor of Singapore. He was a British guy, and he uh, he Thomas Stamford Raffles. Sorry, Sir Thomas Stamford Raffles. Uh, he was the he was the, the the lieutenant governor of of the Dutch East Indies from 1811 to 1816. And, um, and he, he was sort of the modern, he was the modernizer of Singapore. He turned Singapore into this sort of economic powerhouse that it, that it, it still has become, uh, about introducing British work practices and just making it a, and just making it a, a, a hub for commerce and trade. And so many things in the town are named after him, including the Raffles Hotel, uh, which was built in the late 1800s. And it's this beautiful, just British style, uh, white, you know, I mean, of course it's British, it's white, 
Um, but this <laughs> this white colonial three story hotel, uh, and it's just a cool it's just a cool spot. Uh, now to stay here would would uh, would end my bank account immediately. So right. I did not stay at the Raffles Hotel, but there's a bar called the Long Bar, and this is a it, it's it's got wood. It's got this great. It's just when you when you think of like Southeast Asia and British colonial style, you 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 just think of wood, and it has um, the the fan the fans are the best part. So so if you think of um you know the fans like the circular shelf the hand fan where you that you like fling it out and then you you can fan yourself with it like a yeah. hand fan yeah. like a clam sure. shell. So they have those, but they're attached to a pulley system. And so they swing back and forth to create that fan motion, but it's, it's controlled by some sort of pulley system and they're up on the roof. So that's what's going on. Uh, but the highlight is the Singapore Sling, which is a famous drink uh, worldwide now, but right. it was created by a bartender at this very bar called uh, Nigam Tong Boon. And he created this uh, unique cocktail, which is now world famous. And so you can have the original recipe in this uh, sort of, uh, in this sort of uh, colonial throwback uh, bar. And it feels like you could be sharing, you know, a table with, with Hemingway throwing them back, you know, in the 1950s, uh, in this, in this far off place. Um, that's, that's very cool. It's pretty cool. And they serve peanuts, uh, in the shell, which always, <laughs> you know, it couldn't be too classy. So they, they serve peanuts in the shell and you can, you can, you just crack them on the table and it creates kind of a mess, but, uh, uh, a very cool vibe. I would love to maybe someday stay at the raffles hotel, but, um, I, I I settled for having a Singapore sling at the long bar. Uh, not cheap. Alcohol, very expensive in this town. Uh, it was about $25 U.S. for a single cocktail, which is uh, which was rough. But, yeah, it's like L.A. prices. Um, it so, is. So there it's you like, go. You're... Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I also like it LA that, Britain. you know, the the dude, you know, founded all this stuff, but he still has the name of, like, a Muppet. It's like... You can come to the yeah. Raffles Hotel, like you know. Like. Yeah, it's like, oh, you're uh, <laughs> right, uh, Mister Mister Tong Boon. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, it's a it's a unique name. It's a unique name. Right. But Raffles, yeah. Um, Raffles. Stamford. Raffles. Uh, Raffles. Raffles. I'm Thomas Stamford. <laughs> oh boy, his uh, there goes his legacy. Well, you paid money for the cocktail. I did. But how much did you pay for the best meal? Oh man, we're skipping to the we're skipping to the yeah, the meal. Okay. That's a it's actually it's a great segue because the best meal I had was at a Michelin star rated food establishment. Okay. Now in the past you know I'm no stranger to Michelin star dining experience. We've talked about a few on this very podcast, uh, and they're usually very expensive. With Michelin stars come Michelin prices, which are exorbitant. However, in Singapore is the cheapest Michelin star rated food establishment in the world, and you better believe I went to it. <laughs> The Lao Fan Chan Hawker Food Stall. This is in Chinatown. It's in, um, yeah, it's sort of this. Uh, so the Hawker stalls are basically, they're tiny food stands and they serve one dish. They're famous for one dish and they serve one dish. And so you go into what's basically a mall, but instead of, a, um, it's just, all, imagine if a mall was just the food court. And that's what this place is in Chinatown. And so you go to the second story. Uh, and uh, there's all sorts of hawker stalls, but then there's one hawker stall on the far side that has a line going from it 
down the stairs and around the corner. And it's sort of set up because they know that there's going to be people lined up. And that is for Liel Fan Chan Hawker Food Stall. Uh, it's got, it got, uh, it got Michelin stars for its soya, uh, soya sauce, chicken rice. All it is, is, um, a lump of, a lump of rice, a chicken drenched in the soya sauce and the soya Mm. sauce, uh, which was invented by uh, Malaysian chef Chan Hong Meng. That's what got it the, the Michelin star. There's something about the flavor and the taste. And so you get this plate and it costs $2.50 and you you snarf it down and it is unbelievably <laughs> good. It is so good. It is so good that I got back in line and I got myself a second plate. Wow. Uh, the soya sauce chicken rice. So that was by far the best meal I had in Singapore. Now it is, it is since I believe it was 2016 to 2018. It had its, it had its Michelin stars and then it didn't get, and then it, the, the, the star was revoked or it's not revoked. You just, you, they just didn't get one for, uh, for, for that year. So right. the thought was that, they're unclear. It's unclear how Michelin works. It's it's like the Illuminati, you know. It's sort of this shadowy, shadowy tire organization. That's that, right. Uh, you know. Um, but th- so the the thought was that because he got so famous and in opened locations around the world with this special recipe, that he lost focus on the OG spot, and that and 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 observers. Soya sauce chicken rice observers here in Singapore have said that, that enthusiasts have said that the quality has diminished uh, a, a bit since, so that they understood why Michelin didn't, you know, didn't give out the uh, the star to them. But you know, he's doing just fine. Uh, he's made his mark. <laughs> it's sort of like. It's sort of like uh, these days you get one hit song and you're kind of set for life because now you're famous and you have all these followers. And even if you don't really do another song, you still have that song and people are going to use that song and pay you for that song. And, and you're people be like it. For that song. And people like it. And you know what? It hasn't had a Michelin star in uh, four or five years. But you know what was still amazing? The chicken that I had. That's right. <laughs> so who gives That's a right. crap? Yeah. yeah. You know who still plays songs? Three Doors Down. That's right. Yeah. Eagle Eye Cherry. Ever heard of him? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Byron, I, I um, did. There was a there was a skywriter the other day as I was walking oh. around. And, you know, you see these skywriting, which, by the way, has to be like one of the least cost effective forms of advertising. Like, because it, it's, it's very you, ephemeral. <laughs> yeah. You write it in the sky and then it's gone. And I don't know. It can't be cheap. I mean, it can't be cheap. But. The skywriter yeah. was was skywriting, and the words were spelling out. The word that the skywriter spelled, Nickelback. Wow. Yeah. That is. I bet Chad Kruger paid for that. I bet <laughs> out of like, out of pocket. Is, out of pocket. This is what this was get what gets us back. This is what gets <laughs> us back into the scene. Because you know what Nickelback fans are doing? They're looking to the sky, baby. <laughs> to the bottom of every bottle. <laughs> uh, uh, I, you know, I, I'm going to admit something to you, Landon. I love singing Nickelback at karaoke. I, they, yeah, the I mean, songs are catchy, but they're terrible. And but it kills my voice because I do the Chad Kruger voice, and it it hurt. It hurts. It yeah. hurts. It's like smoking a pack of cigarettes doing doing uh, one of those songs. But the people love it. They love it. I think they get a bad rap. They've got some bangers. I mean, in a in a karaoke sense, I think you're totally right. Look at this photograph. Every time I do it makes me laugh. <laughs> That's just I good know. writing. It's just That's good just writing. Good, just good lyrics. That's like, and it's also that's a, such a sad, wistful song. But you're talking about looking at the photograph and laughing at it. I mean, I don't know. It just seems that's right. mismatched, but that's okay. And then you gotta, you know, you get, you're so sad, you start drinking to the bottom of every bottle. Yeah, that's that's good. I don't. Mm, I forgot all about that song until you just 
brought it back up and now it's not going to go anywhere for a while. Well, Landon, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, Landon, I saw two other cool things. That must oh, be man. Mentioned. Sorry. I didn't even realize. I, for, I didn't no, know that there were other good, cool things on the docket. You know, uh, we, we jumped around, but the, but the transition from expensive drink to cheap Michelin meal was too good to pass up. And yeah. You, you know, that's, that's why they pay me the big bucks, Byron, for segues. You, you didn't even know where I was going, but you're in your gut. Your podcast Spidey Sense went off and you're like, we're jumping to food because this is going to dovetail perfectly with the Singapore sling. That's right. Um, so uh, number two, can you give me the drop? I, 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 yeah. can't, I can't tell you. A cool, thank you. Coolest thing. Number two. <laughs> We're back. Lay down, flip it in reverse it. So much music on the pod today. Not a lot of copyright infringement on the pod today. The algorithms will be scrubbing these and hopefully we'll be bad enough to not get flagged. Next week, uh, I'd like to apologize to Missy Misdemeanor Elliot and Nickelback for uh, using clips of their songs on our podcast. They were not warranted. Um, right. All right. Number two, Changi Airport. I am loath to include an airport as a cool thing. But some airports, okay, one airport, only this airport, is undeniable in its, in its coolness, they have spent gobs of money to make this the coolest thing, uh, this coolest airport in the world. It's massive. Uh, let me list you a couple of things that, that this airport has. All right. It has a butterfly garden. It has a cactus garden. It has a climbing wall. It has what they call... An interactive sculpture, which means you can walk up it and then slide down it. It's a slide. <laughs> it's a slide. But that should not be confused with the world's tallest slide, which is also at this airport. Wow. Uh, Want to get lost in it for a few minutes during your, uh, during your layover? How about a hedge maze? Exactly. Also, in the <laughs> middle of the jewel, which is a mall, a circular mall, but also it's part of the terminal because it connects terminals one, two, and three. In the middle of it is the Rain Vortex, a.k.a. the tallest indoor waterfall in the world, all at this airport. Are you kidding me? Yeah, this that's pretty great. crazy. I, I've seen, I as a person who watches a lot of aviation YouTube, I've seen this airport <laughs> many, many times. And... And it's incredible yeah. every time I see a video of it. I would love to be there someday. I do think it's an interesting choice to put a hedge maze in a place where you have to be somewhere on time. But often. that's but but think of the thrill. Imagine the adrenaline <laughs> you get. That's I mean Yeah, you you've done hedge mazes before, but have you done them? Right. Whenever you're trying they, to catch your flight to Sydney, I think not. They they don't have a casino at the airport, but who needs a casino when you're gambling on your connection in a maze? That's right. right? Uh, I also i i i'm 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 doing the the, the pod from uh, this this very room uh, at the Crown Plaza Changi Airport, and uh, it's maybe the coolest room I have ever seen. As an enthusiast of airplane YouTube's, imagine a hotel room in which your entire view is one of the runways at Changi Airport. So as we speak, I am looking out onto uh, planes that are parked at gates, and then behind them are planes landing and taking off. That's my view here. I, I think that's funny that it's exotic and cool in Singapore, and if you're staying at the Courtyard Marriott at Intercontinental uh, in Houston, <laughs> it's like, oh, you're just by the airport. Like, and right. you same view, I can still see the tarmac of, uh, you know, Bush Intercontinental, <laughs> but not as cool as Singapore. It's just great. You can literally, you can see the people walking in the terminal from my room, 
and then like ha- as they go to their gate. It's great. And there's there's even a bathtub. And so I can watch planes take off from the bath. I mean, that's my dream. That's my dream. Forget <laughs> so, living in a business class pod. I want to live in the bath that looks at the, the at the tarmac. Very specific dream, but it's good. Yes. Yes. But Crown Plaza, IHG, uh, they treat me very nicely and they, they upgraded me to this special room. So uh, shouts, shouts to them. They need, Heck they need yeah. to sponsor IHG. That's my, mm-hmm. you know, that's my preferred. Not a sponsor. That's my preferred hotel membership as well. Um, yeah, exactly. Okay, well, yes. If that was number two, then I'm mm. I'm on pins and needles here for number one. <laughs> well, number one is the gardens by the bay. So you have the Marina Bay. Uh, you have the Merlion. You go across the water. You get the Marina Bay Sands, the hotel, and then beyond that, there's a spit of land that heads out into the Singapore Strait. And oh. Oh, speaking of the Singapore Strait, sorry, Changi Airport. Uh, so another cool, one of the coolest things about Changi Airport is that the approach when you're landing is one of the coolest approaches you'll ever see uh, when when you're looking out the window. So if you're flying into Singapore, try and get a window seat because you fly over the Singapore Strait and there are hundreds of ships that are parked waiting to come in to the harbor and offload their goods or coming out of the harbor. So your view is, is this waterway with hundreds of massive ships. It's one of the coolest things you will ever see. So, sorry, I had to mention that. I that is cool. That. It's awesome. It's so cool. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, okay, Gardens, Gardens by the Bay. So uh, th- th- this is a, a big outdoor slash indoor area. Um, it is home to the Flower Dome, which is the largest greenhouse in the world. This is in sort of a a seashell, sh- a smooth seashell-shaped building. Uh, there's two matching ones. One has the Flower Dome in it. Uh, the other has the Cloud Forest, uh, which is um, – it, it, it replicates the cool, moist conditions of a tropical mountain, which, <laughs> I mean <laughs> – a yeah. necessary, a necessary uh, thing, but the flower dome has flowers from all over the world, which is fine if you're into that kind of thing. I don't really care that much about flowers, so I did a quick walk. I did my some museums you do your quick walk through, uh, where you you you're like, okay, I saw it, but you know, you, you skedaddle. That was sort of me in the flower dome. I, I didn't really care too much about the, um, you know, the Himalayan blueberry plant or, or whatever. That's not a right. real thing. That's right. not a real thing. Um, and then I did like the cloud forest because you can climb up the sort of this circular spiral thing and the cloud forest, as it would happen, has the second largest indoor water fountain in the world. It, 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 had, it had the largest for about a year until they built the jewel at Chaggy Airport. And the rain vortex took its thunder, which is a real bummer. But Singapore loves giant indoor waterfalls. They're they're lousy with them. They are lousy with them. They love it. <laughs> they love indoor um, waterfalls. And then, but the coolest part of the coolest thing, Gardens by the Bay, are the 18 super trees. These are man-made trees. They look like they they look like mushrooms kind of there's a there's a stem and then it's not a muffin top per se but it's a yeah. it it sort of branches out um and and these are lit up different colors there's a light show at night uh, twice twice a day and there's a, a walk basically this is the closest you'll ever get to uh being inside of avatar uh um but on earth it, oh it boy really feels talk like about dreams byron that's right. I know. So Gardens by the Bay, again, built in 2012. Everything's new. Everything is new in Singapore. They've just dumped money into everything, uh, tried to, to, I don't know. It, it's strange. They're, like, they're trying to create this, this Singaporean culture um, because Singapore is a real mix. It's a mix of um, you know India and China and Malaysia, um, but they're trying to create their, their own identity. So they're creating their, – their, Throwing throwing money at it, <laughs> so. Um, but uh, yeah, but it. But and again, I'm I'm in sort of the touristy areas. Um, but Singapore Singapore does go out of its way to try and like. There's a Chinatown. There's a little India. 
but they try and they are trying to create like, no, we're not from the places you came from. You're here now where we are Singaporean. Let's create that culture. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> um, I've seen, you know, these are like the things that you see on all the, you know, this is like, they've really pushed these, this whole area, right? Like this and the, oh, yeah. and the Marina Bay Sands and all that other stuff. Yeah. Like these are, this is like the imagery of Singapore, right? It's all, they're all in, they're all in on that. Yeah. They're right. all in on, on, uh, on these things. And there's a cool, it's like an art museum or history museum that looks like a, uh, like a blooming onion, um, sort of, uh, <laughs> or, or, you know, it looks like the, um, where Darth Vader sleeps. He's in that right. kind of shell thing that opens up. So that's, that's another structure, uh, that's next to the, next to the Marina Bay, but they, that they really have gone all in on all, all in on that. And there's a, I, I, you know, the next time I come to Singapore and I know I I'm certain that I will come again. This is actually my, uh, this is my third time to Singapore. Um, but the next time I come, I, I want to go to, uh, like a different part. Like where do the, you know, where do the normal folks live? I want to go to right. the, the other side of the tracks. You want to go um, to the, the, Singapore. you want to go to the Henderson, uh, to Las Vegas. <laughs> um, That's right. Well, when yeah. you put it like that way, maybe I don't, but maybe you don't, uh, maybe in, you don't. In, in, in theory, in spirit. Yes. That, right. that is exactly, that is exactly what I want to do. All right. But, well, you know, forget all this fun stuff. What about the improv? Oh yeah. The improv. So this is, this is one of the wildest stories, uh, for, finding an improv team and performing with them. Uh, I performed with Improvinopolis, which is a team that performs in Singapore, but that just so happens that I'm a founding member of in 2006 in Los Angeles. Crazy. It's so wild, dude. So I, there was a uh, now casting, which is this online casting thing. And I was looking on there back when I thought I was going to be an actor and there was a thing for uh, an, an improv audition. I said, Oh, I like improv. That'd be fun. Um, I'd just come back home from uh, college and I was back in LA. And so I went to this audition. It was at a place called Barubians theater, which is in the second story of a mini mall in like the, the deepest, darkest heart of Hollywood. <laughs> and Checked out. I went there and, uh, formed this 13 person team, which is, as you know, is way too many for improv. Uh, and, uh, we kind of had a middling, you know, month long run. And then, uh, six of us, uh, that had the best chemistry say, Hey, do you want to keep this going? We'll start our own team. So we did. And that was called Improvinopolis. And one of the driving forces of this team was William Landsman. Uh, now the team only lasted, uh, uh, for about, about six months performing, uh, at this mini mall, my wallet and phone were stolen backstage uh, during a performance, which was uh, probably probably my lowest improv moment. Um, sure. Because Barubians, Barubians has two theaters uh, next to each other, and they share a green room. And during our show, uh, in the one theater, the other theater was hosting an AA meeting, and uh, uh, one of those crazy characters came in and swiped my swiped my shit uh, during the show. <laughs> so. Not ideal, but so uh, it kind of faded away as these improv teams do. Uh, uh, and then William moved to Singapore to uh, because Universal Studios Singapore was launching the How to Train Your Dragon live show, and he was the star. <laughs> and he said, you know, I miss improv. So he – and he was with these fellow performers that were also in the show, um, some Singaporeans from all over the world. And so he started Improvinopolis in Singapore – and it's kind of come and go. He's had to move back to South Dakota, but he and I connected before I came and he put me together with his crew. So I'm, I'm returning to Improvinopolis after, uh, uh, you know, what, uh, <laughs> it's 17 years, too many years, um, too many years, too many years. So, uh, did a fantastic show with Pavan Singh. Um, who is uh, uh, lives in Singapore and Irene Malone from New Zealand, uh, and we had a three-person show at the HCAC, the Hack Center for Acting and Creativity. Uh, um, cool little venue, packed show, and it was one of those great, one of those magical improv shows where 
you're on fire and the audience is on fire at the same time and yeah. they come together and it's just, it's just the best. So it was great. It was a great show. And, uh, I, I, uh, our first tripod, my first interview with two people, cause I interviewed, uh, both Pav, uh, Pavan, uh, who I was in the show with and then Bill, uh, Will Landsman, who was in South Dakota and wasn't in the show, but was such an, in, an, an integral part of making this happen. So the three of us hopped in a call uh, and uh, and we talked about um, comedy in Singapore and uh, and how they make this happen in such a unique place. I love that. So we've got yeah. that interview and we're going to roll that and we'll, you know, bask in uh, the, <laughs> the kinsmanship of... <laughs> of creating a thing and having it last for a long time. I mean, it's cool that they're still it's cool that they're still like, you know, doing things like that, that, that this thing that kind of got inspired, you know, so many years ago is now like continuing on halfway across the planet. Yeah. It's incredible. Like what are the chances that these two paths would cross again in this way? It's, it's, one of the yeah, it's one of the more mind blowing things that's happened during the during this adventure. But you that's, know, discovering things like this—I mean, something like this probably won't happen again. But uh, <laughs> uh, but these moments that can like further further what I imagine is possible by doing this adventure. The, these moments are what I'm doing it for, and they keep happening, and it's great. Heck it's great. yeah. Um, all right, yeah, so we're yeah. going to roll that interview, and cool. but uh, where and then before before we do that, where can people find mm-hmm. you and keep up with what's going on? Yes, at Improv Ambassador, uh, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, uh, the Facebook, ImprovAmbassador.com is my website. Uh, it's all it's all there. It's all there for you. My 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 journey. So and uh, give us a review. Five stars on Spotify. Five stars on iTunes, uh, Apple podcasts and, and write something nice. Um, please. That is how people find the show and, um, uh, how this will, will grow larger. And, uh, maybe, maybe we'll get enough people will listen someday where, where Landon and I can stay at raffles, Singapore, like a couple I can't of wait. cat high rollers. <laughs> That's going to be the best, the best time <laughs> or we'll, or we'll get lost in a hedge maze at the airport. Exactly. Oh, we can dream. <laughs> We can, we can dream. dream. All right. Uh, rolling that interview. We'll talk to you later, Byron. Safe travels. Didn't buy the every bottle. <laughs> All right. Uh, for the first time on the Improv Ambassador Pod, I have two guests that I'm interviewing. Uh, William Landsman and Pavan Singh. Uh, Pavan is in Singapore right now. He's one of the uh, uh, people I did the show with, uh, with uh, Irene Malone. And uh, and William is here, was not in the show, but was instrumental in making it happen. Uh, so so he is joining us from South Dakota as well. A truly, a truly global podcast uh, today. Thank you guys for joining me. Hey, My thanks pleasure. for having us. Yeah. yeah. So uh, before we talk about the show, um, um, I want to talk about Improvanopolis, which is uh, who, who I performed with, and just the backstory of Improvanopolis, because this is a team that I helped co-found back in, what, 2007? In 2006. 2006, yeah. Wow. So 2006, back in LA, I helped start Improvanopolis. We were in this just like, just the the most rundown mini mall in the you know the deepest darkest heart of hollywood california and you know there was like a liquor store and a dive bar on the first floor we were on the second floor at a place called barubians and we formed this team and i think we performed for what about six months something like that yeah we were together for a bit uh I think it was like six, yeah, six shows, six, seven shows is what we we did. It was pretty brief. Yeah, pretty brief. Just, you know, just like all the greats, sort of, uh, <laughs> we, we flew too close to the sun. Um, but so, so the LA part of it kind of dissipated, but you, you continued, like, you held on to the name and the brand, 
And then you moved to Singapore. And then in 2010, you relaunched Improvinopolis in Singapore. Uh, do I have that right? And tell me about that journey. So, so yes, yeah, 2010. What ended up happening is I joined the opening cast of uh, Universal Studios Singapore. We got there in 2000, late 2009. And then they didn't open the park for like six, seven months. It was forever. So a bunch of actors sitting around, nothing to do. And I was like, I started researching, is there an improv going on? And I heard whispers of stuff, but couldn't find anything. <laughs> so, all black market. So, yeah. So, so I started, I said, well, I'll lead the groups. And I kind of was organizing stuff. And we probably got together every, like, let's say Monday as a group when we used the studio space at Universal. Uh, we got together and just with no plan of doing a show, just, hey, let's improvise. Let's just improv. And then I'd say in sometime in 2011, the group was really coming together. And I said, you know, we need to try and do a show. We've been putting so much work into this. We've, we've actually gotten really close as a group. And there was, uh, I was introduced to one guy who had, who had started a group in Japan, um, Chris Nolte. And then we decided, hey, let's do this thing. So I think we ended up doing six shows in Singapore in late 2011, right before all of our contracts ended. And then we left. It was like six or seven. Yeah, I think it was seven. I, I remember because I couldn't, I couldn't make the last one. I was in a in a theater production. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, so that's that's kind of what happened. Yeah, and but so and Pav, you were a part of that original cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was I was also part of the Universal Studios uh, opening cast, and just like Bill, we were just sitting around, nothing to do, and then Bill was like, you know, the the the, the hush hush improv <laughs> underground scene that he heard about. You know that I was I was part of that, and really wow. it was just that it was non-existent that there was an improv scene because at that time improv in Singapore, you know, people hadn't even heard of something as famous as as whose line is it anyway, you know, and uh, improv was always viewed as as just a tool for actors to rehearse if rehearsing for a, a show or a play. They didn't they never thought of it as a show, but you know I knew what it was. So when Bill was like, "Hey, come, let's do some improv," I was really super keen to jump on, and and that's how we met hung out and became friends that's awesome and, and what was the uh what was the reception to those first shows actually actually it was really good uh we by the time we did our last show luckily we had that whole built-in audience from universal so we had all these guys who weren't on the team but they came out and supported and i remember we put at that time, the only way to kind of put the word out was it was just Facebook events. There sure. was no Instagram. So it was a lot easier to kind of reach people because there wasn't super saturated. Mm -hmm. By the last show we did, I think we had uh, 176 people without marketing. Wow. Without, yeah. without, without um, no paid marketing, none of that. It was just word of mouth. And it but just the, and that. Yeah, and the last show, you had members of the public coming because people had heard about us. They heard about, hey, this improv thing is happening, you know, and so they, they started showing up. Whereas, you know, the first show was like maybe 30, 40, just universal people, not even that, like maybe 20 people just from universal. Sure. And by the end of it, like we were like pretty, pretty packed. That's incredible. So what, why did it stop? I, I left. I left to yeah. go on a tour. I went to go on a tour. Um, Actually, at the time, my my ex had had booked a uh, How to Train Your Dragon, the arena show down in Australia. And then the day I left Singapore, I found out I was also joining the cast. Wow. So at the time, I was just going to go follow follow her. Um, and my contract had ended there. I did have a guy actually meet up with me after that show, basically wanting to promote us and. You know, and I remember having a coffee with him at a Starbucks and he was saying, well, is there anybody who's sticking around who might want to um, keep it going? And I at that point, I wasn't thinking, like, start an improv company in sure. Singapore. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, it, it turned yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, by the end, of, at the end of the first year, uh, most of everyone went separate ways. And so there was no longer, unfortunately, there's no longer a team. And Bill was, you know, producing it from all directions. Like he was organizing the venue sure. and he was taking care of the logistics and 
and uh, Nolte was sort of doing uh, some stuff and you guys were both working on the scheduling and all those little things that that had to have had to be there for the show to go and once those were gone everyone was just sort of like oh well i guess moving on sure sure so fast forward the group gets back together again uh uh, how did that happen when did that happen uh 2018 so i got another so i went off did that show in australia new zealand then i ended up going to um I mean, a lot of stuff happened, but I ended up back in Singapore working as Donkey again at Universal. And then at the end of that year, I decided to start a company. And I, I remember contacting Pav. And again, we're at a Starbucks somewhere, you know, having coffee. And I said, Dude, I'm, thinking, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking about starting uh, a company and starting Improvinopolis back up. Are you interested? He said, sure. So we kind of reached out to some folks and then that's how it got, it got started back yeah. up. That's awesome. And it was the same. Yeah. And it was the same thing. Like uh, Bill was taking care of all the nitty gritty production stuff, you know, trying to get organized scheduling rehearsals and all that really started being the glue to put everything together. And so as a result, we had like six of us, seven of us who were on a roster and we just, and so we got the improv going from there. That's awesome. Uh, And, and so Singapore is a very unique place in in many different aspects. One of the things that that was very different for our show in the preparation was that we needed to like get permission from the government and everything had to be very very approved and there was a lot of bureaucracy that yeah, was involved. It's a highly yeah, it's a highly regulated highly regulated uh highly regulated society uh in in every aspect and even in even when it comes to performance performance art and all that they want to keep things in they want to be in the know the government uh, wants to be in the know what's going on and keep things under control and 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 making sure that you know people don't go out and just do performances on the streets that's not done here people don't go out and do shows just as they like or or talk about certain topics that are taboo and sensitive culturally to the country because yeah, it's a it's a sensitive situation. <laughs> yeah, has that have you ever run into problems creatively because of that? Has has anything ever happened in a show where where there was some sort of alert or uh, it has? Yeah, what happened? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, not not my personal experience, but but friends, no, of course, uh, yeah. yeah, friends of of mine, for example. Uh, so some things that are off limits in terms of not off limits per se, but you have to really approach with a lot of care and sensitivities like for example uh, race and religion issues like if any particular group or show talks about race and religion and it's not done sensitively it's it's you know insults are thrown left folks are misinterpreted that that does cause a ruckus it does make the news it's such a small country it's it very easily oh makes God. the news wow. and then it gets blown out yeah it grow, blown out proportion so to avoid all that uh, you know the authorities here, the 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 the, the people in charge want to see a script, and because improv is unscripted, <laughs> right? Uh, so you know, so to to do a show to get a license, you have to agree to a lot of things. You have to agree that you're not going to to uh, make insensitive remarks or jokes about race and religion. You're not going to uh, glorify uh, taboo topics and that sort of thing. So. Uh, so some uh, so there was a show one just just I think last year where someone decided to touch on something that they shouldn't have, and the next thing you know they get called up by the authorities and said, "Can you ex-? because a video somebody recorded a video?" And this it, was and an, an improv show, an improv show. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So uh, there some uh, there was a video recording, and uh, and this video recording ended up in 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 the hands of the the authorities, and they called the performers in, and you know. Explain yourselves. What is what is the meaning of all of this? It, and they just sort of like got a slap on the wrist and said, "Look, I think we're fine. This has been harmless, but we don't want this kind of stuff yeah. being, you know, being used and performed in this manner because our society is very sensitive and Singapore is, is a very conservative country in in many respects. So yeah, you, it's very highly regulated. Yeah. Wow, yeah, that's uh, fascinating. Going back <laughs> when we first started in doing shows in like that 2011 the first time we had to apply for a license and they're like, okay, send us the script. Oh, and I remember, course. Being, going, I remember going back and forth for a while saying, okay, this is improv. We don't have a script. Yeah. 
it, it, it took a bit and then they were and they're all, like, okay, that's well, great. Send us the script. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because exactly. they didn't know. I mean, yeah. you know, there was no context if no one, no one knew what it was. Yeah. 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 By, the, so by we, the time. Oh, go ahead, Puff. I was, I was just going to interject and say, we, we sent them videos of whose line and said, this is kind of what we do. And then they're like, what? And so now we made them fans of whose line. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> It, it got easier by 2018. By that time, there was more yeah. improv going on, so they were they were quicker about getting those yeah. things approved. And and you know, like any bureaucracy, you know what they love is their forms and check boxes. And if you check this and check, and so when we were first filling out those forms, there wasn't a checkbox for improv. You know, there's like plays yeah. and musicals and blah blah blah. And so uh, by the end of 2018, suddenly there was a checkbox for <laughs> improvised performance, and you're like, nice. oh, okay. It took a year and a half but uh, <laughs> so now awesome. so now they know what they now they know what improv is and so they have they and and to and this is to the credit of the authorities here they actually will talk to people they'll ask questions so how can we find some way to regulate this because regulation is a must so how can we do it that's that's going to be easy for you easy for me so they said well just just put a caveat where you won't broach these topics you know you won't touch these topics or you won't treat them uh, lightly, so race, religion, uh, politics, sometimes these kind of things. Don't, don't just either don't touch them, or if you do it, be very careful. So creatively, some artists find that very, very, uh, very problematic. Sure, but yeah, and I also not to defend this because like I'm not a fan of like you know uh, restrictions on uh, artistic yeah. speech, but Singapore again is such a unique place that that it is a this mix of all these races and cultures in a, in a, in a way that is unique to anywhere else in the world. Other, uh, obviously other places have that, but in Singapore, they've, they've governed in a way to, to blend all these people together and to create harmony. And so they're doing yeah. this out of in, 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 not to silence people like say in Thailand, it's like, well, don't, don't speak ill of the King. This is more like, we're trying to make this, we're trying to all work together here and make this very unique experiment work. So let's yeah. not, let's not rock the boat in a way that will, will hurt this thing that, that, that we're building in Singapore to create a, yeah, like a, a yeah. Singapore identity. Yeah. Singapore is happy to change. The change must be done gradually and sensitively, not radically. They don't like radical change. It can't be something that happens overnight. Yeah. And you know, so that sometimes comes with the frustration of young people but if again, but you know, I suppose this is me showing my age. But if you speak to the older generations, they will tell you that you know that is actually more effective because less people get hurt. You know, whether whether it's physically or metaphorically, less people get hurt, and the change will come. You just have to be patient with it. So yeah. I mean, that's to just to their credit. Uh, but also, uh, I'm I'm the same. I you know I'm not I'm not appreciative of those restrictions as an artist. I think like I should be able to say whatever I want to say. But this is the society we live in, and the majority are okay with this. So we as artists right. have to. We are of the people as well, and so it's important for us to like consider our options. Yeah, uh, William, do you is the bureaucracy is that the hardest part about doing comedy in Singapore, or is there something else that 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 you would say is is difficult maybe in terms of audience or logistics i think space that was mm -hmm. one of the biggest things finding spaces um interesting when we first started out there i mean over that 10-year period from when i first got there in 2009 till when i left in 2020 um that 11 years cha it changed a ton um and space was probably there's more spaces now but the barrier to entry is the cost just to get. So you have to. So uh, with it, which is true about a lot of things in Singapore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that one was a big one. I mean, once you kind of dialed in the bureaucracy and you're like, OK, you know, we if we were going to do a show, we'd have to have it set up six weeks in advance, which was kind of a good thing in that sense where it's like, hey, we're setting up this show. Let's move toward it. So it, it kind of forced you to, to set it up early. Um, but I would say the other thing as, as it got further down the line was uh, just there's so much out there now. Singapore is just, there's, it's popping. 
So mm. when we were in there in 2020, there were, you know, there's always something going on. So trying to reach audiences became a little, a little tougher. Yeah. Post pandemic is like, now, post pandemic now it's, it's so saturated because everybody has just been dying to perform and work. So everyone has just come out all guns blazing and you're like, you know, <laughs> I have, I have, I have friends doing shows everywhere and they're like, Oh, come see my show. I say, I, I can't, I can't be everywhere all at once. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and let's speaking of audiences and coming people coming out, we had, we had a packed house at our show. Uh, uh, we filled, um, you know, we filled the hack center um, of, uh, what's the official name? Uh, 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 acting. Uh, yeah. HCAC. <laughs> the Hack Center of Acting and Creativity. Acting yep. and Creativity, uh, which is a great space, uh, uh, a great host for really any kind of performance, but especially it was a great little space for improv. And we filled mm-hmm. out the room and of all the, the shows I've done so far, that was the probably the hottest audience. They were... They were raring to laugh. I mean, sometimes, sometimes you have to like win a crowd over and and get them on your side. Sometimes you don't have a great show, but the audience is so good that it doesn't matter, and they're laughing anyway. I felt like our show was a the rare combination where we had an awesome show, and the audience was just like electric from the start, and then it just sort of like exploded into a, a, an incredible atmosphere. Did, did you feel the same way, Pop? Oh, 100%. 100%. And, you know, that's, that's, that's you know, I don't mean to blow our own horn, but, you know, it is to our <laughs> credit because we were, we, we, were, we were doing some really good improv. But also the, you know, short-form comedy improv, for some strange reason, people here don't want to do it, right? So people want to do oh, long-form. They want to do living room. They want to do uh, Armando and all that stuff, which is great, which is fine. But short form is such a such an easy and fantastic win in any show, like doing those games. And people just don't want to do it. And so when we come and do it, people watch it and they're like, "Oh my god, this is like uh, this is like the best thing." There's a new gag every ten every ten minutes, every five minutes. Exactly. So, yeah. And yeah, there's also you know if the show is not going that great, the game will change in five minutes, yeah. and so you can go to different directions. Yeah. Whereas if it's long form and you've picked a character that you don't love, you're, you're stuck with it for, for the whole half hour. But I think that's interesting because, because especially for uh, exposing people to ha- that haven't seen improv before short form is like the gateway. That's what gets them in. So yeah. I, I'm surprised. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised they don't do more in Singapore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th- I mean, I think there's a general fear of, or the pressure to be funny, right? There's just this pressure to be funny. Whereas long form, they give themselves a license to to just you know be tell a longer story and i guess the responsibility of 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 making it entertaining gets spread out a bit more like you know just give me a second let me warm into this whereas there's this idea that if we do a, a short game like boom we've got to be funny on the first line the second line or something of that nature and it's it's not that it's not that hard it's not it really isn't to 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 be that entertaining i think yeah and also short form I feel I almost feel less pressure to be funny because the 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 tricks of the games or the rules of the games are designed. Yeah. That's the funny part, you know. Sometimes you mm-hmm. just have to sit back and you know let the audience member yeah. do their thing or or whatever it is. But uh, yeah, I I had a blast. I really loved I really loved doing the show, and I would love to I would love to come back uh, and do it again when when you're there, William, uh, because you were certainly. Oh, that'd be awesome. You were so instrumental in putting this together. It was it was definitely a bummer uh, not to have you there, especially because of the chemistry that Irene and Pav and I developed in a really fast way. So if you were there, I, I know that it would just sort of add, add rocket fuel to that combo. Yeah, no, they're, I mean, they were great too. Uh, funny, actually, quick story about meeting Irene. So we had yeah. had, when we started up in 2018, we kind of put the word out, um, hey, or, you know, does anybody know anybody? We kind of pulled in some friends that we knew. And Irene kind of came along last minute. Somebody said, hey, you should be talking to this person. She showed up, I think, the night before our show. We had been rehearsing together for maybe four or five weeks, just kind of getting together. <laughs> sure. She shows up the night before the show. And immediate, And I was like, well, you come to the thing. I don't know if we'll put you in. We'll just, you know. Just vibe see what check. happens. The old vibe check. I think with yeah, exactly vibe check within <laughs> I think 
within like 15 minutes, I was like, yeah, she's, she's in the show. <laughs> yeah. For me. And, and, uh, I mean, same for me, but I would say less time. I think it was like five minutes. And, and also she, she's older than improvisers usually are, um, which is always like, uh, just, just from experience, some, uh, I mean, there I've improvised with uh, older improvisers that are great, but also a lot that, that struggle sometimes. So I, you, when you meet an older improviser, sometimes you're wary of it. Uh, but oh my God, five minutes in, she was just dropping lines that were blowing my mind. And I'm like, she might be one of the funniest people I've ever performed <laughs> with. She's unbelievable. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, tell, I always tell people, I was like, if you can get to the point where when you, you're going to, because when you say something funny, people will laugh. But if you can get to the point where when you, you make a mistake, do something and people still laugh. And that's, that's Irene. She, she gets, has this way about her with, even if let's say it's, it wasn't the best line, something about the way she, her body language, you're, you're laughing with yeah. her, you know? Yeah, it was great. Well, uh, it's been a fantastic experience. Thank you all uh, uh, for making it happen. I'm so glad. You know, who could have imagined when I when I started this that I would be performing with this team that I helped start in 2006 <laughs> in a mini mall. So it's just one of the wildest stories of of my journey. And uh, I'm so glad to meet you, Pop, and reconnect with you, William. And uh, I really, yeah. uh, I, I truly want to come back um, when when we can all do it together. Um, because uh, I just think that would be uh, another incredible experience. So thank you guys uh, for being a part of this. Yeah. And yeah, I'm going to throw this out Thanks there. So Come to South Dakota. Sure. <laughs> if, I, if I'm still here, it'd be awesome. Oh, man, that would be awesome. Here. I would love that. I'd love that. Uh, well, cool. Thank you again, guys. Great seeing you. And I hope to see you uh, soon. Thank you.